Well, I'll let you know as soon as I'm allowed to participate in the design assist. <laughs> Everyone I've ever done goes with something like this. Here are your 75% drawings. Go ahead and start modeling. By the way, the guys are installing right now. Don't ask too many questions. Just get it in. Just and do it. We don't have time to move anything around. I'm sure you have really great ideas. Just get it modeled in. Get us the drawings. Hold that thought. It in Hold, that right thought. Yeah. Hold that thought, Josh. Right and Josh, just so you know, you're definitely the only person that's experiencing that. In this episode of the Construction Doorcast, we welcome back Alex Belkoffer, who approached us with the idea of talking about what's been going wrong in the world of design assist contract delivery. Alex is fresh off the DBIA conference, so was fired up and wanted to lead this conversation. To round it out, we invited in Josh Hudson and Adam Davis to bring even more insight from the side of the trades. This is a fun discussion with some very passionate people, so without further ado, away we go. Please share and help the dork movement grow. Nerds! Everybody sound, everybody good? Everybody good? Yeah, here we go. All right. Uh, where the hell's the button? There it is. Okay, here we go. And we're live. That's right. It's episode 36. Design assist or design rescue. Maybe dumpster fire. It sounds like we're going to have a good time today. We have brought on a few extra guests, so your Brady Bunch view might be a little bit bigger than usual. And if you're listening in, you're going to have a few voices that you got to figure out. We got a returning guest who really came up with the idea for this one. That's Alex Belkoffer from McCarthy. We got Adam Davis with us today and Josh Hudson. Adam and Josh are new to the show. So, well, we'll just beat them up over the next hour and a half and see what we can't get out of them. I'm excited. You know, unfortunately for me tonight, it, I have a, uh, a kid's basketball game and they frown on whiskey breath, even with masks these days. So uh, I will be drinking some tea. Brought to you in a beautiful CDX uh, cup here, on. you know, come so, on. so just, you know, a little plug That's for what Nathan CDX. does with all his dollars and, and everybody's swag. And I just want you all to see that I am super proud that That's I was anointed a Plexus Patriot. Uh, so thanks to Chad Pearson for sending this out. This is possibly the coolest swag I've ever gotten. In fact, it definitely is the coolest swag I've ever gotten. Chad, Chad, I think you're cool too. If you want to send me a show. Right. Yeah. I like stuff. <laughs> I like stuff. I like turtles. All right. I like Jonathan cash. Marsh. Yeah, I can see you. I like cash. Hey, man. So I am. Uh, I'm going all local tonight. I'm going with the Altered States B-Side Bourbon. It's an eerie distiller. And, you know, I mean, like in general, I don't like locals, but but Altered States is really good. It's really, really good. They have a good bottle. And I'm looking forward to some good conversation. We had Alex on before and he, he kind of kicked ass. So. Uh, this should be fun. Trent, what about you, yeah, man? Yeah. Going back to one of my one of my favorites, just for Travis. <laughs> I got the, the the hop supremacy from a little place called Deviate Brewing just down the street from me. It's uh it's my it's my go-to East Coast IPA. So it's like biting into a to a freshly picked hop, Travis. That's that's awesome. You, sounds awesome. You would love I mean, it. awful. Sorry. It sounds awful. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, fine. What do you have, Travis? I, well, I have, I, I also am staying local. I went out to my favorite local brewery, Wishful Acres Farm and Brewery here in, in Freeport, Illinois, or actually Lena, Illinois. And this is called Little Patience. It's a uh, easy drinking Pilsner, a German, German Pilsner. So uh, nice and light, nice and light before uh, maybe some, some harder stuff a little bit later. 
Um, Alex, why don't you go ahead and reintroduce yourself and, and go from there? Yeah, sure. Sounds good, gang. Thanks for having me back. Alex Belkoffer, Virtual Design and Construction Director with McCarthy Building Companies. For those of you guys that I haven't met yet, excited to be back on. Um, was happy to co-collaborate with Jeff on this topic of design assist, or is it really design rescue slash dumpster fire? Uh, Going to have a fun time with you guys today. Looking forward to seeing some old friends and meeting some new faces. Nice. Adam, why don't you go ahead? Yeah, well, beverage of choice today is water. I feel like the need to hydrate uh, prior to our next engagement that I have after this. So hydrating right now, uh, with, yeah, with Lighthouse Electric, but just relaxing most of the time in Youngstown, Ohio, in my current home office, like most of us. Mm. So, yeah, I look forward to this discussion. I'm really excited to be on the on the Dorkcast. I got a, a T-shirt under the radar when we were in Nashville. So now I have a reason to wear it. Nice. That's right. And last, but certainly not least, Josh Hudson, why don't you introduce and, and, uh, and give me your drink of choice this evening? Well, drink of choice would be free beer, uh, but I also have gone local with Spring Hill Jack's Coffee, Mothman Brew out of Gahanna, Ohio. Nice. Right on. The coffee is a refreshing change from the normal black tar heroin I would be brewing up right about now for most of my meetings. I wanted to stay awake for this one. Right. <laughs> oh, oh, this uh, is going to be fun. Gonna okay. be awesome. I recently heard somebody say that it's like es estimators and bin managers go into every meeting expecting to shoot their way out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just how it works. I'm like, why is that? Why is that the case right now? What, what, why do we have that? So Alex, you kind of wanted to bring everybody together. So why don't you level set and kind of give the, the people listening in an idea of why you wanted to put this particular group of people together. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you know, I, I've had the pleasure of working with Josh specifically in my past. Um, it's part of the reason why I wanted to do this with you guys and with at least one or two people that I knew um, is I think we all share some of the similar um, pains of trying to do um, integrated or shared project delivery with these, you know, these newer delivery methods such as design build, design assist, IPD. Um, and I think people don't really fully appreciate or understand, you know, the true value of bringing the trades into the process early to leverage that and how that process really needs to change from the traditional ways of designing, bidding and, and constructing projects. So I wanted to bring this to light because this is where our industry is moving, right? It's this collaborative approach, um, owner, designer, contractor, and then their, their preferred trade partners really trying to do the work together and optimizing that flow. Um, but it doesn't always work super great. I think a lot of people still misunderstand the benefit of design assist. Um, I've worked on projects where design assist was, was kind of a, a laughable concept or a phrase. And then I've seen it where we've done it really, really effectively. And so I'm, I'm curious as to who in the audience out there, who in our marketplace is feeling the same way. And so the idea that I had in the timing of this with Jeff is at least in McCarthy, we're doing a lot of design, build, design, assist right now. And I keep getting the question asked to me, um, what is the best way to do it? What are the right technologies to do it the best? Who are your best trade partners? Um, and it all really does come down to people in alignment more than the process and the technology. So you gotta have the right people in the room to do it. Um, but I wanted to leverage this group specifically to talk about where you see it at work, what is still the, the failures or the pain points, are people just not getting it? Is, is the scope not clearly defined? Like are people's workflows just more progressive or not as advanced? So 
this can go in any different direction, but the bottom line is I think design assist is getting a bad rap. And, and I think we can try to, to help level set that, fix it. So I think this group, it would be a great group to expand upon that. Well, I'd like to hear Josh was, was talking about it early. Why don't, Josh, why don't you fill us in on how you think it shouldn't go? You know, give us our, your little spiel that you, you kicked off before we kicked off the show. Well, you, it shouldn't work like almost every single design assist project I've been pulled on to help out with. Uh, you'll have your BIM kickoff and you'll find out slab on grades already poured, guys. All of our uh, load-bearing structural walls are already up. Windows are in. Sleeves are in the walls. Uh, we're erecting steel now, and we've already framed in all of your mechanical closets and, and electrical closets. So you're pretty much locked into the 75% uh, design they've already got out with no freedom or room to move or change anything. Essentially, you haven't brought me in to assist your design. You've brought me in to fill in all the little blanks in the model based off the half-assed set of drawings we already have with no, no room to move anything lest somebody have to write a large check because half the work structurally is already in. That, if, if we're going to call it design assist, let's pull us in a little earlier on in the process so that we can actually assist with the design instead of completing it for you. I feel like most of the time I'm not designing or assisting with design as much as I am completing your installation drawings for you. I think Josh. that's funny. That was kind of the reason I, I, when Alex and I had this discussion, we talked about having you there. That's why we called it design rescue. Have you guys seen that homestead rescue where it's like, we have no money, we have no nothing, but this is what we have. So figure it out. <laughs> And I mean, at least that guy figures it out. I mean, and I know that's the funny part is I think you guys have been figuring it out. So I'm interested. I cut you off there, Jonathan. Go ahead. What do you think? Oh, I was just saying, Josh, we used design rescue at, at, at Spader when I was working there in our general definition, the general definition was, can I move the steel? And if the answer is no, it's a design rescue, not a design. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, I mean, and it's a simple well, I, question because that tells you a lot. Uh, 2019 uh, in Chillicothe, Ohio, uh, hospital down there by the name of Adina, they built on a one, two, three, four story above ground, one story below ground uh, chiropractic surgeries or chiropractic orthodontic bones, bone surgery center. There you go. Orthopedic. Maybe. Yeah, something yeah. like that. They cut bones up and welded them back together, used hot glue guns. I don't know what they did. I'm just a BIM guy. Uh, and it was to be a design assist with, uh, with Alex's old company, Messer, whom I, I really love doing BIM work with because they have a great program down. They know what they're doing. You, you get in bed with them doing BIM. You know how it's going to go. They ask a lot of you, but they, the, the process always works out smooth with them, unlike many others I could name. So we get started. And I'm given preliminary cut sheets for the, the, the main gear room in the basement has a normal power 15 kV switch, an emergency power 15 kV switch. Uh, there's one, two, three, four, five, eight automatic transfer switches for, for some for normal power, believe it or not. Emergency power, critical power, life safety, all this stuff spread out umpteen distribution panels, all sorts of, of uh, transformers, uh, a, a separate normal power room, an emergency power room, 
here you go, get started. So I get the preliminary cut sheets, come to find out that there's not enough room in the emergency power room to fit a 15 kV switch. We don't have the, the required line of escape within, within so many feet of the, the 15 kV gear that you have to have. Uh, the ATS switches, uh, per the preliminary, preliminary cut sheets I have, won't work. They're too big. So I start to move stuff around, make a phone call, come to find out, oh, no, the slab and grade's already poured, and these two structural walls are already built up. In fact, they're building them up past the second floor now. Well, wait a sec. Well, then that means we have to move the other two walls. Well, we can't because we've already got stubs up for air handling equipment. So that's going to be where it's at. And if we move the wall, then we won't have enough room to walk between the wall and the air handling equipment on the other side. Well, guys, you were screwed. You started building before you had a, a complete design. You pull me in to help you out with this if, if, uh, if we already had half the building built. Uh, this isn't a this isn't a design assist. I guess it's like Jonathan was saying. It is now a rescue. And let me tell you what you're going to have to do to make this work. Uh, luckily, they had a large unfinished future tenant space in the basement, which we took uh, three or four hundred square feet of. Is the only way we could make this work. We had to rearrange some walls, create a new corridor where there wasn't one before. Just to put a door in with a push button so in case the gear blew up, you could run out in a, in a huff without dying, which, which is day one stuff for an electrical engineer they somehow didn't think of uh, on this one. <laughs> Adam, you're shaking your head. Adam's like shaking his head. Yeah. I, you've lived I, through this. Yeah. It, Josh, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely sympathetic. Um, and that's like our first step whenever we see a drawing, whether it's traditional design bid build, design assist, design partnering, whatever, IPD is the first thing we do is run run a design validation and, and do those things that you're talking about. Where we're looking at, does, does this even make sense? Does it meet minimum code requirements, et cetera, et cetera, to your point? So you looked at the first thing they handed you and it was like, yeah, this is not right. And We've seen we've seen everything. I I'm not as specific in my details with the 15 kV switches, but I mean, you know, we we just got a modular switch house sent to us, and then everything's great and our timing's fine. But oh wait, the roof is leaking, so we can't energize, and the roof material's 12 weeks out. So yeah, we'll just we'll just hold on now. At you know at. I, I get real frustrated with the design assist um, when it's not, it's a rescue when it turns into those rescues. Um, yeah. You get, they're, they're supposed to be design assist, but they can't be because they've already built half the building. And then well, they I, give you the contract I'm, I'm finishing a job right behind. now where it was supposed to be design bid build. Uh, we had our BIM kickoff meeting, and before the first regular coordination meeting, I had personally written 58 RFIs. That thing quickly turned into a design assist, and it was never supposed to be. Right. Well, let's let's jump in there real quick. I mean, Adam, you said an operative word. You said modular. Think about that for a moment. Like, we have to ask ourselves, why are we doing design assist? What is the why? Are we trying to drive prefabrication? Are we looking at things like modular? Like, we trying to do design assist and call it that and if the answer is well we just want the the knowledge of the trades in to review the design or give feedback and they're not actually going to draw anything or we're actually not going to think about the downstream workflow 
then we should stop calling it design assist and just wait until the designer of record is done. It's not driving any value if we're not yeah. producing anything and leveraging the trades for what they're good at, which is their knowledge of constructability. How are they going to prefabricate? Are we going to be doing anything offsite? What is what is the approach from a quality standpoint to get the to get the final product pre-coordinated so we don't build it wrong? And so the, the example of the walls, the example of the constructability reviews and, and, and being pulled in too late, we don't have the right people driving the conversation clearly. And I think that is kind of where, and I'm coming off the heels of Design Build Institute of America's National Conference. I'm all juiced up, so, so just get ready. I just spent three days with everybody that's like, oh yeah, trust, transparency, collaboration. Yeah, we got to be doing all these things. And the question I'm asking is, well, if you want to do all those things, where is the role of the VDC manager in this? Because that person right there should be married up with your pre-construction group, your designer of record, even the client, and having this conversation months in advance so that I get Adam and Josh on the team and that none of this ever happens. It's not design assist. It's just they're involved in the design process. I don't need to call it design assist anymore. Yeah, yeah Alex, the best design assist I've ever been a part of we never actually did the construction work for it. We only, it was a separate contract that covered the design assist portion. And that was the best experience I had. And then the project was bid based on the results of the design assist work. And turns out our number was higher than others. And we chose not to, to cut what we wanted to make as far as our standard level of profit on it to take a job that we did design assist work on. But the, the separate contract enabled everyone to be more open and honest with, with what was happening. And then the time frame, it was already established that this design assist contract was going to happen. And then we were going to go into construction. To your point, you know, making, making an effort to create this scenario that enables all the benefits you're looking for to happen. Adam, do you think though, and, and this is like having an estimator that's too accurate. Do you think the fact, and I've had this with design assist, more like the design collaboration work where I know way too much about that job and I'm not going to take that job for the amount of money this other guy says they're going to take it. From my standpoint, most of the design assist work I did was the result of a previous project that was a design rescue. Like they so missed the ball on the first time they tried to build this, that they're not even starting with the engineer. They're bringing us in first and then we'll work direct for the owner there. I haven't had a lot of the, the stuff like McCarthy's doing Alex. So, but do you think you knew too much about that job? Like, oh, did you follow up after the fact and say, Hey, did you lose your butt? Because we thought you'd lose your butt. Uh, I did not follow up after the fact um, the company may have that those, those, conversations don't always circle back to me. Um, but we kind of had a, a clear idea of where the gaps were in the design. I think we filled them in and others didn't. And then that's exactly what happened, Jonathan. Yeah. I, I, think, I think that that's the danger a lot with this type of work is that if you're not part of the contract, like an IPD, and you're not going to get rewarded for being part of it, you end up knowing too much about it mm -hmm. or being scared to start it because you've seen things that, that you just feel like you're not going to be able to get in front of. And I think those are the ones that go bad. I've had a ton of them go good, but, but the, the ones that go bad start with that sort of a, a feel. <laughs> well, so let's, let's take that for a second, right? I mean, the business deal, what you're signing up for, for design assist, right? You know, the way that we kind of do it sometimes is you may have like a part A, part B services, right? Part A is pre-con. Let's, let's get that nailed down. Then we'll look at part B, which is the construction. 
usually it's like a phase GMP or there's an IGMP, you know, an initial uh, initial cost. And then, you know, then we'll kind of work our way up to the final. Um, I mean, I'd like some feedback from you guys. I mean, are the, are the CMs and GCs truly scoping it and buying it right? You know, how important is the BIM execution plan so that design assist is clearly defined? I mean, I want to talk about all kinds of stuff, man. I mean, roles and responsibilities, you know, in my role in helping to set up the project for success, those of you guys that have worked with me, I spend a lot of time on roles and responsibilities, level of development, who's modeling what, when, and, and being clear on what's due, how we're going to coordinate, again, design phase, before we even get to the finite coordination, before we even start getting into things like hangers and inserts and all that stuff. I mean, I want to have a design process that I can rely upon and not throw in the trash can and start over, right? And if I'm asking you guys to join me in that, I would much rather you guys model with real parts, thinking about constructability and having it very clearly defined. So I guess where, where are the GCs and CMs falling short? I mean, what, what is not clear enough or is the business deal just not being set up the right way? And where do we got to improve? Open forum. Well, I, I, I mean, I can't speak, being independent like I am, I can't really speak much to the estimation side of it as far as the clients that I work for. Whatever they work, I 99% of the time don't even know the full contract value of the work they're doing. I just know my contract value, that's all. Um, but, you know, I did work for SME for 15 years. Settle Meter Electric, a, a fairly decent local electrical contractor here. Um, and I know how they did things. And I would not recommend anybody else do things like that. But I do know the longer I've been, the longer I'm in the, the, the industry, I do know most companies kind of operate that way. Their estimators try to get as close as they can without overdoing it. They don't want to put too many bells and whistles, parts and pieces in their estimate, lest they not get the work anymore. Um, so they'll try to cover their bases. The project management team will pick it up and they'll start looking for all the stuff they did. Then they won't pay attention to what they do have in the job. They'll look for everything they don't have and start making a list of everything that's missing. And they'll focus on that and try to mitigate all that. Uh, and then try to usually, in my experience, it comes down to save labor where we've fallen short on parts, pieces, and equipment. We will save labor. So, then as a, as a BIM coordinator comes down to me to try to prefab everything you can, get everything set so we can go in as early as possible. While they're building forms, we want to be putting our conduit up inside the forms if we can. And uh, when it comes down to a design assist, again, that doesn't usually work out because time and time again, like I've said before, when I get on a design assist, half the building's already up. The, jet, the construction management firm or general contractor is also looking at that schedule. How can we make money? How can we make money out of the deficiencies? Well, we compress the schedule. So let's go ahead and start getting the underground done, the site stuff. And while yeah. we're doing that, we'll scope everybody else out. Once the yeah. site and underground stuff's done, let's start pouring slabs. That, that to me, though, sounds like the timing, right? The scheduling. That's just timing, scheduling. Like a, For me, it always comes down to that, yes. Yeah, the people are late in the game. I mean, Adam, you know, what are you seeing? I mean, again, success, failure. I mean, where, where are we not getting it right? How come we can't be doing more of this and be effective? Yeah, I, there's there's a lot there. You you covered 90% of the design assist scope with that, that opening 
mantra there. So I, I want to start at the beginning with the, what I'll call the estimate, the IGMP, the GMP, the revised GMP, the, the maximum budget, whatever you want to call it, because it has so many names, but it's always just the price is, is really what it is. You know, this is what I've seen in, in most of these is there's a, a G, an IGMP, right? But it's IGMP.1, .2, and it's over and over and over again with VE option one, VE option two, VE option three, VE option four. Um, the amount of time and effort that the estimating team takes during the evolution of this design. So we're going from 50 to 75% during the development of the GMP and the amount of resources that are being demanded because of the options and continuous pricing. I don't know that it's it's understood what's being asked when when those agreements are put into place. Exactly. I've seen them value engineer all the savings right out of the job because they've changed a light fixture package 20 times to try and save $130. Uh, meanwhile, we're so I don't have cut sheets. I don't know what we're modeling in the building, what's being installed. We're halfway through coordination. We get to the two-thirds part. Well, finally, we've, we've pulled the trigger on some equipment. Here you go. Hey, everybody, we have to stop and go back to square one and rework stuff yeah. because now I finally have cut sheets for equipment. And they saved Perfect. a whole $130 by doing so. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Perfect is the enemy of done, right? Yep. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, like that. I would perfect. I, I would say that what you guys both pointed out is is really important. I worked with a really cool CM, um, and the reason I think the design assist works with well with them was the guy running the VDC for the general knew the consequences of his actions. So if if they were going to change a piece of equipment that was relatively small, they knew that's not a big deal. If they were going to change a valve set that was going to be everywhere in the damn building, hundreds of places, they knew we were going to have a heart attack. And and likewise, he was he was he was you know had enough clout to stand up in a meeting and say, no, everybody needs time on the floors, and you guys want all the hangar layouts. Well, that's the last part of coordination, unfortunately. You know, we have to get all the pipes in before we can tell people where to hang it, which means we have to be done with a high level of collaboration before we can put those embeds in. And, and I think I think that's, you know, Alex, if you want to know what I what made design assist work whenever I had it, it was the person from the GC or the person with the most authority understanding the impact of their actions, understanding that if you hand me a turd, I can only polish it so much. Right. And I tell you what, though, it's not just having a, a good VDC lead on a project, you know, as, as the CMGC, you know, we are kind of the, the, the manager of the sandbox, right? We're the, we're the king of the sandbox, but you, you have to be united and unified with the other leaders on the project. You know, I, I'm a big believer that you have to marry the office and the field together. You know, one hand can't be working too long without the other. Otherwise, you're going to get in trouble. So, you know, I feel like, you know, the VDC lead on a project being at the point of attack, visiting the job, working with the superintendents, the foreman level, you know, not just the project manager, all those people, you know, really being in, in unison on the schedule and the timing of things to really prepare for meaningful and done done coordination um, is, is extremely critical, but everyone needs to be aware of that. I think the simplest, the simplest example that I have of that is I see a construction schedule or a design schedule 
and there's no BIM activities, right? Or there, or there's just a bar that says coordination, four months. Well, what the hell does that mean? What four months for what? And if you're doing design assist and we got you guys involved and there's no level of detail to, you know, area one or floor five, you know, like where, where is the, where is the methodical, precise detail in something that we need to be taken very seriously? Like design assist, it shouldn't just be a, a thought and, and, and glazed over. Like there's some serious effort that goes into that. There's serious dollars. There's serious benefits to it. But the team needs to be granular in their approach to it so that it can be successful. And when I look at processes that I, we, I've gone through and things that we're currently going through right now, you need to have that, that precision, that detail. So the team doesn't go and, you know, make seven bid packages and, and plan for work in a, in a chopped up nature. And then, you know, to Josh's point, the slabs already in or, you know, core walls are in and, and things are out of sequence now. Like that, that visual planning effort, whether you're a believer in full planning, whether you're a believer in 40 scheduling, whatever you're a believer in, the whole team's gotta be unified in that approach from the model, right? The, the model-based approach. That's what all of us are passionate about. That's all why we're here. We're talking about BIM and, and what VDC can drive. But that visual planning approach for design assist needs to be in the right sequence and the whole team needs to be bought in. Otherwise you're going to have what, what Josh and, and Adam described. That, I'm going to jump in on that, Alex. You know, what, what I'm living and what I've seen multiple times is, is we have these architectural key plans that are driving our coordination efforts, but our design systems are not interconnected in a way that enables turnover of those key plan areas to match coordination efforts. So essentially we might do an east and west side and A and B side of a building, but in order for you to turn that over and have it functional, you need parts of B to be included in A and parts of A to be included in B. Um, and it gets complicated as you break that up more and more. So, you know, I was gonna ask you the question and you know, Trent and I have this running joke that no one's ever met uh, a, a BIM schedule. We've, I've never had one that's ever been successful. And I've never had anyone tell me one that, hey, our baseline BIM schedule met our, was the actual thing we did, right? It, it never happens, not one time. And project schedules are similar. Um, so pool planning, essentially, that's you can think of it that way, what, what, whatever mechanism you use to make it happen. But are we pool planning from the turnover, whether whatever that means, if it's by trade or if it's to owner or if it's, to secondary process installation? Are we pool planning from that point to design information at a level that enables all of it to start? And, and to your point, when we're working inside of a BIM environment, I'm the one, whether I'm a, a more, I'm an electrical con subcontractor, I'm the VDC manager, or I'm working on an IPD and I'm managing all of it, I'm building that, that, that lead time. You know, Design information at 60% received, Two, two weeks for population, two weeks for coordination, one week for sign-off review. Then we have fabrication, drawing, start, procurement. All of those activities need embedded in that overall schedule. Sure, you can carry it with a summary bar, but all of those activities need identified, agreed upon, and then enable those turnovers to happen out of those coordination sequences. You know, I can follow up with Adam there. Uh, the, the more I hear us talk and the more I think about the subject at hand, one word keeps coming up over and over and it is schedule. And I think if we did uh, 20 different discussions and we tracked 
keywords and the frequency in which they came up, schedule will probably come up the most of, of all the little keywords we might want to track. And, and Adam just said, nobody's ever met a BIM schedule. schedule. Well, I'm here to tell you, I have. I have many times. Me and my partners were independent MEP coordinators who have worked together. We've known each other, some of us, as, as much as almost 20 years. Um, but every one of the partners I work with, I've known for at least 10 years, and I've met them from working out in the field with these guys. We come together. We get a client that wants us to do a project. We create a realistic schedule, not one that's going to be palatable to the owner or the CM, one that whoever's writing the checks is willing to who, who, that the schedule's feeding into what they already wanted to hear. We create realistic schedules. This is realistic. We can meet these deadlines. Uh, given the info we have now and, and, and uh, you know, everything else we've got going on. And if you can convince them that this is realistic, if we want to accelerate, something has to give. And generally it's precision, accuracy, and quality of work. Because you can't have everything. We can't have the job done tomorrow and have it be correct and accurate. So decide what, what you place the most value on, uh, speed or accuracy. And if it were me and I were paying the bills, I'd want accuracy. Right. But the, the key, the key, but you create me, realistic yeah. schedules. And I think, sorry, Alex, but the, the construction end of it has to do the same thing as well. And I, th I think a lot of people try to create pleasing schedules for whomever is paying the bills. They create a schedule that they want to see, not one that's realistic with the idea, well, we can just put more people on it and crunch the schedule down. That was my point earlier. I think that just never works. I think that's what I've seen more often than not too, Josh, exactly what you're saying. I think a lot of times the, the end result, the delivered date is promised to somebody before anything else is even talked about. Um, and then it's really hard to deliver that style of project when, you know, we talk about, like like you said, when the steel and all this stuff can't move, it's hard to be design assist, but it's also hard to be design assist when the finished end date is already unmovable, un, you know, determined. So I think a lot of times, and we're all guilty of it. I mean, you know, in a, in a plan spec world, when us uh, sub trades work for a GC, we like to make the GC happy because we want we want return work, we want we want the next job, we 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 want to be in their good graces. And Alex, you can say what you you know you, you might disagree with me, but I think that some of the GCs out there have a hard time telling owners no because they're thinking the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. They they kind of give in to to every wish and want because you know, maybe this guy's doing a whole bunch of uh, work all over the world and, and we, we want the next one, right? I think that's that's the challenge though, is is buy-in. So you say you say schedule is an operative word or a keyword. I'm gonna say buy, schedule buy-in is, is really what it comes down to. I think I saw someone in the chat just came through and, and be careful when you say all because <laughs> I am a big believer in, in reality. I, I'm a very process-oriented person. I think that's, anybody who knows me knows that. But, but part of my focus is team buy-in. We're not going to put a process in place that half the team buys into. We're not going to go into a design assist approach and, and half the team understands it and half doesn't. At the end of the day, you have to define the why and the goals. 
if prefabrication is a goal, I can't build a BIM coordination schedule that's a bar four months and prefab is not a component of that. And that's a big reason why I'm a big believer in full planning. And, you know, you asked Adam, you know, what are the mechanisms that are successful for full planning? You know, I obviously look at two main things, which is MEP rough in and, and superstructure uh, erection schedule. But when you pull backwards from there, you need to have the detail in the sign-off process. And those of you guys that work McCarthy, you know, we have a seven step coordination sign-off process. There's a reason why there's seven steps. Those seven steps are in the schedule. Those seven steps drive prefab. Those seven steps drive everybody's comments are factored in. You're done commenting, the drawings are done, we're moving, we're moving forward because you guys wanna go and prefab and install and make money. And this is a business, if I'm not mistaken, right? We're in this industry because it's fun, it's exciting. We wanna make money, we wanna be profitable, we wanna have a great time while we're doing it. We wanna enjoy it and feel successful in what we're doing. But the buy-in is key. And we're never going to get better as an industry if people don't truly understand how a model-based approach drives downstream construction, installation, and a successful product. And the only way to do that is to get people fully understanding and involved in the planning process, which is at that finite level, which is at your guys' level. Until that starts to really happen, yeah, GCs and CMs won't get any better with it. But they got to be able to understand you guys are the experts in what you do. And we're bringing you involved in early so that even if I don't know every individual aspect of what you do, I'm listening to you. And I'm factoring your, your, your investment and your buy-in into that schedule. And I want your feedback so that when I say, here's our process, and you say, well, there's two other steps you're not thinking about, I'm listening. And it's going into the schedule. And we're going to do it together. You know, one very smart person once told me, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So let's take the time, plan it right, we'll be able to move fast, not, not just a date on the calendar and, and someone pushing me to say, well, it's got to be done then. Well, okay, fine. Well, I can work backwards from that. I can, I can work backwards from that date, but I'm not going to fake it. I'm not going to try to shoehorn in, you know, an extra two months when I know that I'm not going to be able to do that. At some point, we got to be accountable and we got to be, we got to be authentic. Well, I think that what I, I'm, I'm not sure how you get the buy-in though, because we we've, we've had similar discussions like about budgets, like, VDC always misses their budget. Well, if it's an always thing, then maybe you should start looking at the way you're making your budgets. And you, that's the same thing you're saying there is if you're missing the schedule all the time, well, maybe you need to take a look at the way you're setting your schedule. I, I'm just not real sure how you, I mean, it, that seems like a massive push or a massive change um, that we have to teach the industry to deal with. I mean, Travis, it's a human issue too. I mean, yeah. I was going to jump on Trent with this earlier. Like think about your life. Whenever you tell somebody, oh, I'll be there in 10 minutes, it's never 10 minutes. Like we overestimate just because that like humanly, that's just what we do. It's, it's an eight, it's an eight in us. In fact, I think like estimators are far better at, at it because at least they've realized they've tripped over it a million times. So at least they, they've added a fluff factor in there and it's still not enough because you're right. But they add it in and somebody else subtracts it out of their head and that, you know, we're playing these games, but I, I have this interesting question for you guys. Cause currently I sit on a, a very different world where I'm looking really from an owner's view. And, and I've been sitting back listening to this conversation and, and I'm, I'm going to be completely frank. Like most developers don't understand anything that you guys are talking about. Like, this is like Greek bullshit. I mean, I listened to it and it took me forever to learn it, right? It's critical to how you build a building and all of this is critical to it, right? But That's why every, they pay us to do it. 
Exactly. But let they me don't you, understand it. Exactly. And I, but I want to, I want to understand this. So I want to kind of like paint this picture and then let you guys go to the details. Cause like you said this, they're still deciding on things. Josh, you said it, you know, we're, we're deciding on light fixtures, et cetera. And yeah, we're, we're shaving, we're, we're stepping over dollars to pick up pennies. I get that. But as an owner, like you're going, I have a champagne dream and I've got a beer budget. How the hell am I going to get here? Like, how does all of this work together with not just that, but because you guys are talking about detailed systems and, and, you know, panels and, and things behind the wall and the steel structure. But, you know, I'm also concerned about how I feel about when I walk in and what the tile looks like and what that light bulb looks like. Like, how does, how do you guys handle all of that? That's a lot of shit. I mean, so I figured I'd throw it out. Br- brutal honesty. Someone needs to take this owner with his Cadillac Escalade dreams and his Kia Rio budget and give him a cold shower. Tell him you you could probably hit somewhere in the middle. Let's maybe go for a nice Toyota Camry, something kind of in the middle there. Yeah, but some what, nice what you're asking it. for isn't yeah, going to happen. Now. Yeah, you might be able to get some nice rims or some tinted windows. <laughs> yeah, I, I know a guy who can do songs. a lot of this stuff on the cheap. Just buy the right. base model, and we'll we'll fix you up afterward. Right, we've seen those cardboard gifts of cars trying to be all sporty, right? Like that works too. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Jeff, I mean, I, I look at it from the standpoint of, you know, if this is how we do business, and I mean, when I say we, I'm talking, you know, those of you guys have been doing this long enough on, on the screen here. I mean, this is the way the industry has shifted. We're in a digital transformation world. This is just part of the way we operate. The message, I think, to our, to our clients that are listening right now is you have to trust us when we say that these processes are necessary to give you a quality product. And while you might think that this costs more, it actually costs less at the end of the day when the process works and we build it right the first time. And, and kind of the, the analogy that I use that a good friend of mine here, McCarthy, told me a couple months ago, and I'm a big sports guy, so I love this one, is what is the cost of goals not scored? In the sense of if you have a good goaltender and he pitches a shutout, you're happy. You thank him. When he has a game where you lose six to five um, and then those six goals you know, really cost you, you know, you kind of sit back and go, well, man, if you pitched a shutout every single game, you know, think about how much better we would be. That's part of having a great process, having great goaltending, right? Not letting people through the line, having good, good blockers and tacklers. If you got these good processes and yeah, sure. It might cost, you know, some money to, to have these folks on the team, but if your team's winning and you're winning championships, you know, are, are you going to trade that team? Are you going to, you know, not pick them? I think there's something to be said for those companies like ours that, have invested in these things and make us as good as, as we are. Is it not? Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And that's what, you know, we sat on that panel not too long ago. I, I, I truth be told, I was uh, on a panel that talked a lot about this with Alex and, and another group of folks that have McCarthy's worth, worth uh, worked with on these projects. And it started to make sense to me. And I think part of it though, is like, you know, Josh, to, to your point, like they're not going to get the Kia and they're not going to get the, the, the mercedes or i don't know tesla these days whatever it might be but we got to have what would you say hellcat okay hellcat but we got to have something two liter supercharged screw everything else on the vehicle give me the big (laughs) engine but it's got to be delivering on you know the objective you know and a lot of those objectives are really important but there's this education (laughs) layer uh, and reorganization and i think i've been noticing that alex that i think you guys do this quite well just from listening to that talk is reorganizing the opportunities in the order in which they need to be presented so that then they can be modeled 
and and apply all those digital tools like it just needs to fall into the process but what is what is the main objective when you're doing a design assist what's the main objective why is that why when we do a design assist is that delivery method been chosen over a traditional design build generally speaking it's to shave dollars off to get closer to what the owner really really wants and the most economically uh efficient way possible Mm -hmm. we do design assist because we have the contractors come on and lend their expertise on what does and doesn't work and and we kind of finish the design off um but when you give an owner an unrealistic time frame for doing so then all then you cannot assist with the design Mm -hmm. and all the advantages you were selling them are now out the window so if the owner's going to lose on something, maybe let's let's decide what's most important to you. Is it is it getting the building slapped up in as fast a time frame as possible, or is it really achieving this design that you really really wanted in an economically feasible way, even if it takes a little longer, maybe two uh, well, months longer? Well, and I I think I think that that varies from project to project by owner by owner. I mean that's the well, cool part does, of yeah. what I've been learning is is like. I, you know, I can't remember if any of you guys were there with us when we sat down with with the. I'm going to speak in front of the construction users roundtable in a week, and like the first time I sat down with them, it was a real eye opener for me that like five owners in the room had five absolutely different values, things they valued. You know, Josh, there was one group that was like, "Listen, the minute the machine's on, we're making money, so like time is of the essence. So if you can't get this and you can get that, and it costs me a little bit more up front, that's peanuts." I'm, on top of what I'm doing. So there's this whole thing of aligning value, like a hospital, you know, they've got a, a remarkable facility. So it might be, you know, the, the value is the, the service they can provide to the, to the, um, the community. So th- this is where this alignment and, and I'm thinking I'm going there. It's this alignment of value. And then this transparency of total cost of ownership, like why are they not doing design bid build? Because design bid build gives you the, the guaranteed minimum price. And 90% 90 of the time, it's a lot more than that. So there's this idea of what's the price going to be? How's it going to meet my value? If I want to drive a Ferrari, well, damn well, you're going to build me a Ferrari. And well, if you tell me that that's going to take an extra eight months, if I'm cool with that, I'm cool with that. But, you know, so go ahead, Alex. Sorry, I got on my high horse there. To me, to me, it's optimization, though. It's not just about the cost. If we're, if we're optimizing the delivery, then we will save in the cost. What we're trying to do is, is involve the people that are actually going to go and build this thing earlier so that the design team doesn't have to do a bunch of extra work, right? I mean, yeah. there's a cost in continuing the design 100% CD. Damn straight. There's a cost yeah. in bringing you guys on early. There's also yeah. a cost in waiting until the design is done. And letting you guys go and actually make it real and throwing the, the design intents to the side and redrawing stuff yeah. and, and then spending those extra three months in coordination, right? So what people don't see is uh, the, the full culmination of the whole thing and starting early and getting you guys involved is optimization for speed to market. If I'm a developer listening right now, I want design assist for speed to market to get the, the people that are going to actually go and make this stuff involved earlier so that we, we streamline the design process get it in the fab, get it in place, and we don't have to have any rework. Yeah, Alex, that's, a, that's the perfect world. That's what we want. So when the owner throws a wrench into the thing, like they always do at the last minute, how do, uh, typically in a design assist as an electrical subcontractor, I'm not going back to that owner and saying, you've thrown a wrench into me. But what I am saying is that, 
hey, now I have to double the amount of conduit runs I have from panel A to panel B because you use 208 to minimize the cost of my gear. And now I'm, I'm, I have a limited amount of runs. So, you know, all of these things, I'll inform the GC, you on what that looks like and what that costs. And how does that conversation go? Because I'm over here in the electrical subcontracting world. I'm telling you that this change that they made in the gear package selection that we have has this secondary run that's impacting production in the field at a later date. So we want to optimize everything and we optimize the design to, and we optimize out the flexibility of the design. So when that one additional thing changes and maxes out the gear we've cho chosen, how does the owner respond when we come to you and you go to them? Adam, you ever get uh, to 90% coordinated and you've got, you've already got your, your company uh, out there. They've installed half the one line diagram already and come to find out, Hey, the owner found a great way to save money. We're going with all aluminum feeds. Yeah. Uh, no, he's not. Adam puts away the water and pulls out the whiskey. Twice in the last year. But you know that that shouldn't, there are measures, and I'm sure Alex can speak to this, but there are measures in place to where that shouldn't be an issue. I mean, that's, uh, I know, I know as a, as a fabrication subtrade, we, at North Mechanical, we pride ourselves on being, you know, some of the best fabricators in the country. And what we, you know, when we achieve coordination and achieve what we're doing BIM wise in an area, we issue fabrication letters, you know, our intent is, is spelled out. It's, Hey, like, yeah. We're, we're building now to meet your schedule. You know, right. my, the means and methods that I have to take to achieve, you know, your schedule and your scope means I'm building today. So anything well, that happens after this, I mean, we, yeah, not, not during the fabrication. Like I'm not saying, of course, after we fabricate, but this is saying a hey, three weeks before we're ready to sign off this area or six weeks before we're ready to sign off this area and we're using shop drawings based on equipment that we have. And then all of a sudden we've maxed out what we have, or we've relocated something. I mean, I want Alex to tell us how those conversations go. Cause I don't get to hear it. I mean, we got Alex in front of us. <laughs> sure. you, get, well, you give them a price and then they mark it up to the, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Alex tells everybody, don't worry. I will whip the coordinators in line. That's I have right. a nine millimeter pistol. <laughs> Nobody will dare. Well, Josh, Josh knows all my tricks. He worked with me. But, um, <laughs> but you know, if the, the big part of it though is, is a team-based approach, not someone flogging anyone, right? It's not like one person is the dictator and everybody else is subservient. It is a, it is, it truly is a conversation. I recall from, from my past work with Josh and others, um, even before I, I came to McCarthy, you know, the conversation was always with the people at the point of attack in the field saying, listen, we're still two weeks away. I see the superstructure schedules catching us, or I see we're not going to make it. You know, we got to make a strategic decision and it's a team-based decision, right? One person's not going to just, you know, wave their wand and say, yep, this is what we're going with. At least the companies that I, that I've worked with, we, we are much more trusty and collaborative and willing to listen to each other. Um, than one person just putting their foot down and saying, damn, it's what we're going to do. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of those conversations might get a little heated. Sometimes those conversations, um, really, really get kind of fired up in terms of like, well, we can't do this because of this, um, but at least it's honest, at least it's transparent, and at least it ends up being a team-based decision. Now, some of us may not like that decision all the time, but it's factoring in the, the whole equation. And at least, you know, where I'm from, you guys are in the room. 
it's not like we're meeting in a side room and coming back and saying, all right, it's what we're doing and we don't really care and, and screwing you guys. It's because our process works. We believe in the process. Now, things change, right? Weather conditions, um, material delays, um, you know, potentially a client-based decision or, um, or a design partner-based decision, and we have to react, right? And we're going to do that. But the idea is you got to do it together and we're never going to abandon, you know, the model or the BIM-based approach. You know, I go back to, you know, we believe in integrated virtual building. That's what, at least in McCarthy, that's kind of, you know, what we believe in our core. And if we're committing to that, I'm never going to stop midway and say the hell with the model, like we're just going to do it old school. That to me is kind of like abandoning the culture or, or, you know, turning around on your beliefs. And so you can't do that. You have to commit to it and you got to believe this is the right way to go about it. And I think that the clients that we work for, the types of nasty, tough, complex work that we do, like there really is no better way to do it. We can't go back and do it the old way anymore. We're so bought into the new way. We know it's profitable. We know it's successful. We know you guys are bought into it. Everybody wants to do prefab now, it seems like. We all want to be you know, optimizing the, the, the process. You got to stay true and committed to what you believe in, but you got to be transparent. You got to be authentic and you have to do it together. You know, every problem you run into, Alex, in those, you know, when we try to demonize design assist and, and the issues we run into early on in the process, every problem that meets you along the way is one you were going to find somewhere, no matter what, no matter what building style process you uh, or no matter what contractual process you, uh, you went about. It just means that we probably found it sooner, hopefully, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. It, it wasn't like that was something problem that we fabricated just because we, we did the job that way. I mean, yeah. in the plant spec world, we probably would have found it in the middle of heavy labor um, <laughs> when in trade stacking and uh, all the other things. So, yeah. 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 I like that trend. That's I love saying that about using the, the BIM and VDC process. You know, we're just finding all the problems we would have found afterwards anyway. And we're finding them now virtually. Fixing it virtually costs a lot less than fixing yeah, it in I've, the field. I've heard it, you know, it's cheaper to change it in bits than it is in bricks. That was the original value statement, right? Was that BIM is cheaper doing it virtually. I, I think that, you know, everything that you guys have talked about, I think in my mind keeps coming back to this idea of the people who have the responsibility and the knowledge to do the work, having the authority that goes with that. You know, we, we talked about not being able to keep a schedule. And then Josh is like, well, I could keep my schedule. And I'm like, that's because you can turn down the job. You know, like yes. you, have... <laughs> you are 100% correct. Yes. That is yeah, one of the so... greatest things about working for yourself. Yeah. You know, I, I no, thank you. I don't need that job. You got it. There are jobs you're not going to be able to do. But I, I, I've noticed like, so the owner decided, hey, construction management's going to really save me money because I'm going to take and I'm going to give the authority of the build to someone who knows more about the build. And I feel like that should have kept going. Like, like it should be like the construction manager should say, I don't know how to do MEP. So I'm going to give over the responsibility and the authority to the people that know how to do this. But if you give the responsibility, but not the authority to those people, that's a problem. Yeah. Like if, if you're responsible for the schedule, but you don't have the authority to change it, man, that's, that's like the worst place to be sitting. And Adam, when you, when you said, so how do you talk to that owner to Alex? I'm like, why is Alex got to talk to the owner? What, like, like what, what, how did, how is that good communication? You know? Oh, oh well, the owner doesn't like to hear from us typically. 
<laughs> I will tell you this. This is well, where technology that's, that's has been wonderful. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think there's one of the problems. Don't stop trying to feed the owner what they want to hear, what yeah. they like to hear. Tell them what they need to hear. Here's the reality. Yeah. I'm doing you a favor by telling you what you don't want to hear because no one else is going to do it. And, and this is, you need to address this issue now, or, or you're not going to achieve the goals you set. I do think too, Jeff, when we were out in Phoenix, we <laughs> talked to the, the Kurt group. I do think that, well, obviously they're a very special group of owners too, that we talked to it out there, but they're starting to actually want to hear it. Like don't, don't candy coat things for them. And Alex, this is kind of a question to you is like, you, you mentioned developers earlier. Do you think developers versus owners that are going to occupy their building are they are they seeing this differently or do you, can you convince a developer who just wants to get the structure up and sell it off i mean can you convince them that this this has the same value well yeah i mean we we're doing it with some right now i mean i think what it comes down to is you know you got to develop a relationship uh, no pun intended with them and and the ones that we work with on a regular basis i think understand that we have kind of you know our traditional processes or at least traditional now um, and, and it's not, it's not like an a la carte thing. Like this, this is part of the cost of doing business now. This is what we've invested in as a company. Um, but when you're trying to pitch more of these like progressive delivery models, um, you know, they're not the experts in this, right? That's why they're hiring us. So we have to do our, we have to take the time to explain our approach and why this makes sense and why it may cost a little bit more upfront, or you might see, you know, kind of that, 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 sh that curve shift, right? The paradigm shift. Um, in the industry of spend the time and the effort up front might cost more here, but you're going to see it on the back end come down. Um, it, it takes some time to get folks to understand that. But again, be methodical, you know, be specific, be precise, um, get to that granularity. And, and if some of them may want, may not want to entertain that, you know, then maybe it may not be the, the right delivery approach, but if we believe enough in it, if we can convince them that it is the right approach for speed to market for really getting us to, to be optimized, um, if they truly care about money, then they should want to listen. It just comes down to having, you know, open-minded people who, who want to do something progressive. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I have, I have to get this in. We have a small electrical contractor. I say small, they're like $22 million locally. This is the Youngstown market. Jonathan, you're nearby. So you understand it's basically everything between Cleveland and Pittsburgh and Akron and Erie. Owners don't require BIM. Architects don't draw in 3D. Therefore, our mechanical and electrical trades around here don't use it and don't see the value. But Adam, you got to admit, when we do use it, we sort of rock the house. Like, like oh yeah, I, and yeah. we had we had a design assist job down there um, in your neck of the woods, where we uh, shared the model and all of the issues that we had on the collaboration with the owner, the engineer, and the architect live in the issue tracker never seen so much chatter from an owner nope. that as that because he's like what do you mean you can't do it what do you mean it doesn't fit what do you mean that's not going to be it, it yeah. it's like yeah that's life man you just haven't yeah. seen it before <laughs> yeah our major market owners are getting very good and i and i really enjoy working in those major markets and these smaller mid markets i think we have to figure out how to take that education and get it to everywhere and, and make it more prevalent where it's less of an option to do it. And it's more of, this is just best practice nowadays and we have to get it out there. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way we're going to do it. It takes a bunch of, bunch of little 
little nobodies like us sitting here talking about it, right? I mean, Crazy yeah. little dorks talking yeah. about it. Actually, and 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 it it is and it's funny, Adam. It's it's not just the small markets. There are some major markets that you will find deep penetration of a lack of BIM, mm. and it, I know. Um, I, I have this theory though that that you know from working with you all, especially you know the the high end mechanicals and electricals that have been fabbing for a long time, that and watching the labor issues that like those installers, if they're not going to do BIM, they're going to be just installers. They're, I mean, they're going to be installing your stuff and you're going to be the local Amazons of the area. And whether you stay mechanicals or you become mechanicals and electricals Mm -hmm. or MEPs or what, or, you know, that, that's where this thing is going to go. So, yeah, you know, and you can transform or, or, or you can, you can slowly, you know, die off, I think is, is what's going to happen there. But, um, I like some of your stuff with, with, um, you present what mechanicals, what prefab, what modular, what those kind of things do and presenting those opportunities early actually drives a whole ton of value back. So, you know, it, it, there is this reverse that we've seen happen now too, from the other side and Travis, you're right. That was, it, it's a, it's an interesting group we were with, but I've been with some others now who've realized like, Oh, you know, I can get the, the higher end package. If I just like dive in earlier and make a bunch of decisions earlier and I let yeah. those folks run with it and it's like pretty realistically what I wanted. And then, yeah, I get to, I get at the end, I'm actually upgrading a few things if I'm smart about this. Right. right. Well, um, I, I hope that, I mean, I, I assume that these people aren't stupid that, you know, for the long time with the plan inspect world, you were, you were driving that lowest dollar but they would be change ordered and everything else to death at the end. Right. So hopefully they're starting to realize that maybe I pay 10, 15% more at the beginning to get my building done, but I'm not getting hit with those costs later. Yeah. Yeah. You know, unfortunately we had people like bone and others try to do studies around that and they just, you know, nobody would listen as to, you know, this is like the way this is, this is, was the true TCO of a, of a design bid build versus, you know, a design build or a design assist job. And, and just everybody shakes their hands and says, you know, somebody's fudging the numbers, but it's, it's just not, it's not true. I mean, Definitely come on, look at municipalities that, I mean, I've been involved in this process. Nobody stops building a $10 million building when it's going to $12 million, but you can get $10 million approved. Look you know, it's going to cost you 12. LA, that's, that's exactly what it is. That's why they do it. I mean, some of it is, you know, ah, crap. We almost made it through an episode without having to pay Nathan. Um, you know, tell me, tell me how I'm measured. I'll tell that's you really how awesome. I act. You right. know? So, yeah. I'm just well, me personally. I just, I don't know that, you know, I need a smart market report from Dodge or, or McGraw Hill or whomever to tell me that a BIM based approach is more effective. Like I just feel oh, like yes. we need to be there. It's 2021. Oh, yes. oh like, I don't think you have invested in this. We're there. Yeah, I meant the more collaborative delivery methods. I, you know, the yes. BIM one, y'all can figure out. <laughs> I think that I, should, I, BIM should be the way. And, and that's it. I found yeah, a lot not, of, but, uh, but you're owners. not leveraging BIM to the fullest without that delivery method. Correct. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yep. I've had ah. uh, owners and GCs and CMs tell me that, you know, BIMs, it's, it's a pointless, it's a contractual obligation. It's just a line item expense on my budget. There's really no value in it. And I try to tell them that first thing I get told is, well, of course you would say that we're paying <laughs> you to do the thing. You have every incentive in the world and to, to lie to me. I'm like, well, I can see I'm wasting my time here. Just uh, <laughs> cut the check and let me do what I'm doing. <laughs> 
the old fox guard in the hen house, man. Yeah. You know, but I, I'm with you, Alex. And it's true. I think a lot of what you're talking about is just the proofs in the pudding, right? It is the way McCarthy does it. It is the way mm-hmm. lots of great builders do it. It is the way that it is transforming the industry. It's the way we're going to keep up. It's the way we're going to fab. It's the way we're going to do modular. It's the way we're going to reach and change the experience. It's one of the major factors. Like, I don't, I don't think you can reach your true potential without it. Um, and, and in fact, I think we're as a kind of a society screwed without it because we're, we're not going to, we're not going to make enough people to make enough of this stuff along the way. We're going to have to do it better, but, uh, but I mean, the good news is we're seeing a lot of signs of it, but we are getting close. So um, I wanted to allow uh, the gentlemen that have joined us an opportunity to send your final, your final thoughts out to the dorks that listen in um, and let them know where to find you. So uh, Adam, we're going to go in reverse. How about you? Yeah. Uh, final thoughts is uh, Alex come build in Youngstown. I'm here for you anytime. Uh, no, I, 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 a great discussion. A lot of the same issues. And I think it's important to know this is great. This is the future. Jeff, you summed it up very well and uh, it's not going to be easy. And we're going to continue to have those difficult conversations that Alex said. Um, find me anywhere you'd like. I'm uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Adam Davis. I you can look up Lighthouse. Uh, you'll find me there too. But yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's been great. Yeah, well, we were excited to get a, an opportunity to bring you on. Look forward to seeing you in person again sometime soon. Josh Hudson, man, you are a cool new addition to the Dorks. Yeah. I, I am. Like, I am cool. I you feel are. like we're pretty stoked <laughs> to have you right now. I'm kind of a big deal. Yeah, right, right. we feel very fortunate. Very very fortunate. Yes. You should. You should. Uh, but no, I, I feel pretty fortunate too. I, I, it's Alex moved out of our local market four years ago. And, and since I have bumped into him again, in the, uh, from time and from time to time, and it always seems to be about perfect timing whenever I do. Um, this was a, this was a really cool experience. Uh, I've never done a podcast before. Uh, so he, he emailed about the opportunity to do one. And I said, Absolutely, I'll do it. Um, and it just wild coincidence. It just so happens that BIM and VDC is right up my alley. I just so happen to know just, a lot about <laughs> weird well, now, coincidence. How now, that now you are going to have literally dozens of fans. Uh, uh, yeah, um, obviously. I'll, I, I wait till Las Vegas casinos start comping me. Um, lady, I don't know if you know who I am, but I did an episode of a podcast once, literally. Right. Right. For a leap, 30 people heard that. So <laughs> I'll take the presidential suite. Exactly. That, it works. It works every time. So you get it. 60% if of the time, it works every time. Comp me any any Vegas hotel rooms. You can find me on the internet, Midnight BIM. Um, mm-hmm. We're the only Midnight, Midnight BIM out there. So that works out really well for us. Uh, Google it. All right. Awesome. Alex and you. And, you know, I, again, you know, I spent three days with a bunch of highly uh, motivated people at DBIA in Denver and Jeff Sample, by the way, didn't even come to say hi. So I, that's uh, bullshit. Uh-oh. Like, uh-oh. <laughs> over, two on the, over two on the Denver, the Denver conferences. And, and I'm there, you know, and, I, and we're talking about all this great stuff. And I knew I had this podcast coming up and, you know, it, it was said there multiple times. I'm big on this. Jeff knows this. People process technology. Technology is easy, easy, people are hard. And that's the hardest part about this topic and every other topic that is about collaboration is people have to get past the traditional way of doing things. And it all kind of starts with the contract 
in being willing to adopt a collaborative strategy that will drive a best-in-class approach. We're never going to be able to do design assist right if people don't think about other people and their why. You know, it's not necessarily about your why, it's about the other person's why too. And you have to weave those things together to, to really be able to make this happen right so that the design assist horror stories go away. And so if the industry is ever going to get better, there will need to be some standardization, I believe, to this. I think DBIA is a great organization that might be able to help with how do you do design assist right? Kind of like how they like to say, design build done right. Where's design assist done right? And, you know, maybe that's one of my initiatives and maybe my next passion is to help figure out how to standardize some of the stuff because I want to do podcasts with you guys on the success stories. You know, where, where is the great, the great work that our industry should be doing happen and happening? And I think the standardization and getting precise is really needed here, right? There's just too many, there's too much opportunity for people to just kind of do it their own way. And we're still going to have plenty of failures. So I'm going to keep working with organizations like DBIA to help trying to get this right for you guys um, and bring, bring this process done right to the people and really make our industry better. I mean, those of you guys that know me know that's my passion is. So I'm going to keep fighting the good fight, keep working with you guys. Design assist can be done right, people. It can be done right. It's all not designed. I'll believe it when I see it. (laughs) Here, here. Hey, Alex, listen, don't let Josh tell you, because as you can tell, the world needs dreamers and the world needs people with uh, their feet firmly planted in reality. And I think dreamers and dream crushers. (laughs) A little bit of balance of the two. Exactly. Somewhere in the middle is where the whole thing comes out in the laundry. So uh, I want to thank everybody for listening in, for tuning in. I want to thank the three of you for joining in. You figured out where you can connect with them. If we connected with you, connect with us. We're super excited at the opportunity to do this on a semi-regular basis. You know, we're getting back to the two-week thing. We'll see. Um, This has been episode 36, Design Assist or Design Rescue. You figure it out. Dumpster fire over. (laughs) You guys. Someday the dorks will be big enough that we'll actually have like a dork reunion. And we'll get it. Can wow. you imagine what that would actually be oh. like? The dork I could, union. I could pull that off. Yeah. Dork, dork union. union. Dork union. Just casks and casks of bourbon. Yes. And the dork. And we we have to. Dudes, someone has to be bourbon. Someone has to be the dork knight. Oh, God. The only thing that I would say about our product at all at this point is that. We're refactoring using something for Amazon just came out with a new way to query websites. So AWS had react query, but they, they like supercharged it so that you can do all your calls on the sounds dorky. This is the right show for this, right? It's pretty show for this. You, you, can, you can do all of your API calls on the front end and it will cache the data. And then you can move through the site without delays. So right now when you're on our website, there's like these delays every time you go to do something and, and we should be able to kill all that. Um, but in, in we, we aren't going to launch that new website until the, till it's completely done. We, we already made our mistakes with half launches and quarter launches and all that. Oh, you don't so want we're to do a like, soft launch. <laughs> that's, that's after a long night of drinking. You do. A soft launch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We got one more. Does that say need beer behind you, Travis? Yeah. I, I looked for rescue memes and it said, meanwhile, Canadian search and rescue. So it just says need beer behind that. That's <laughs> good enough. We're safe. Oh. Just need beer. <laughs> just need beer.
I'll let you do that, Jeff. That's right. Now that we have almost everybody, I have my I have my new stuff. Check this out. I've been anointed a plexus. That's pretty sweet. Not gonna lie, that that is pretty cool. That is cool. It got here like one day too later. I could have been the plexus patriot for Halloween. I totally would have done it. Dress up as Chad for Halloween. (laughs) Chad with the, the, the shield everywhere. Just put cauliflower in your ear. I was going to say, <laughs> I didn't want to say that just because I thought like, oh, Chad will listen to this. And I'll no, get my ass not, kicked. Oh, he would laugh. Oh, he, yeah, he would laugh. Totally whoop my ass. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> totally That's exactly why you should say it. If you think he's going to yeah. whip your ass for it, you should say it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Oh, he's got a sense of humor. He would laugh at that. Hell yes. Yes, he yeah, does. Hell yes. One of the best, actually. I'd be some tea drinking today because I have to be at a basketball game, which hopefully I'll be back for my other friends to meet us for our another later event. We'll are see. we going to have to shotgun or we're going to be late to that one? Aren't we? No, no, no. We have email. to leave right on time. Yeah. We I have 10 minutes out. to make it there. And yeah, there's a to, window. Yeah. And I have to go to a kid's game and then come back. So I'll be shotgunning when I get back. Oh, I'm just um, pre-drinking, Jeff. I figure I can get so blasted by the end of these two. That, <laughs> like, like, this is my pre-drink for the main event. Uh, so, Josh and Adam, we are explicit. So, um, Travis won't cut the fucks out. He'll yep. put that into there, just like he does everyone that I say. At some well, let's point, get this like, out of the way now. Shit, fuck.